I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. We're all, all of us, you, me, all of us, carrying different stages of ourself within ourselves. That's true for healthy people and unhealthy people. Think about that, that we're all carrying different stages of ourselves within ourselves. So, as true as that is for unhealthy people, it's also true for healthy people. I I think the first time that I was presented with that notion was when I was reading Dr. Sleep, that novel by Stephen King. And that would have been, oh, right around 2000. 13 or thereabouts and uh, and I gave that a lot of thought we're all carrying the different stages of ourselves within ourselves so if you think about that if you're around my age which I'm getting close to 50 getting closer to 50 every year um, there's somewhere inside of me there's that three-year-old me and somewhere inside of me there's the 10-year-old me and the 13-year-old me and the 20-year-old me all those stages of myself still in there we grow up we become adults but that version of us from first grade is still in there too what happens to those children what what those little kids inside of us with all their neediness all their insecurities what happens to them how do they get what they need interesting question ain't it well obviously healthy people healthy adults aren't running to their parents every time their inner child feels insecure or scared or confused or um, needy healthy people then what are they doing they are parenting the younger versions of themselves within themselves and they do this by intuition an unconscious probably in most cases an unconscious understanding that it's not mom and dad's responsibility anymore 
to take care of that little kid. Whose responsibility is it? It's their own responsibility, ain't it? Not anybody else's responsibility. It's not their wife's responsibility. It's not their husband's responsibility. It's their own responsibility to, to care for those different stages of oneself, to console, comfort, reassure. Not anybody else. The difference, you know, the thing with healthy people is that they've had the advantage of having had good role models in the past for the way that this should be done. So, if you think about a a healthy person who is 50 years old, let's say, and uh, the child inside of them is feeling insecure and scared or needs reassurance or... um, is confused or is feeling terrible about things needs somebody to put an arm around him or her and say they're there it's going to be okay or you know um, uh, yes what you did is wrong Uh, you need to do it better next time but don't don't use it to feel bad about yourself when they need this uh, they have the experience of the way they were parented to draw on and so they say well my parents uh, the way that they parented me was in this very healthy way so now when I parent myself I know the model I know how I'm going to do that you know in other words not shaming not shaming themselves being patient with themselves while at the same time not uh, tilting that teeter-totter too far into permissiveness and so forth But what happens with people who were raised in unhealthy families? Well, that's a challenge, ain't it? It's a challenge because if you were raised with unhealthy parents, then you did not get that healthy model. I know that's true in my case. You know, for those of you who don't know my story, I lived with uh, completely oblivious to the fact that I had borderline personality disorder all the way up until my mid to late 30s and then I authentically recovered from it I rid myself of that disorder completely permanently authentically but I can remember back and I can put myself in the same boat as many of the people who listened to me that when we were growing up we did not have good role models for good parenting. So what would, what would happen now if now that we are adults and we are recovering from these emotional disorders, the emotional effects of having been raised with unhealthy thinking and perspectives, and we were to just try to imitate our own parents, our own unhealthy parents, in the ways that we now parent our own inner children, what would happen? We would just continue creating the same trouble for ourselves now that they did then. In fact, this is what all unhealthy people grow up to do. First of all, they don't realize that it is their responsibility to parent themselves, 
not their husband, not their wife, not their older sister, not their older brother, not mommy and daddy. It's it's their responsibility. Th- just think about that for example for a second, about how unhealthy people are walking around perceiving other be- people as being responsible for their f- fundamental needs and that sort of thing. So they're they're shirking a responsibility and inappropriately perceiving the responsibility as belonging to somebody else. How many husbands do you see? Uh, insecurely uh, getting angry at their wives and uh, browbeating, I guess is the term. Browbeating their wives for not giving them enough attention. Not making them feel secure enough. You see, that's an example of that, ain't it? Because if, well, if we're talking about a husband, obviously we're talking about an adult human being. Who is responsible for parenting his child's insecurities, his own inner child's insecurities? It's not his wife's responsibility. It's nice when she does fawn over him, but if he's feeling insecure, uh, the resolution to that insecurity is not his wife. The responsibility for the resolution of that insecurity does not belong to his wife. It belongs to him. Right? He needs to figure out what that inner child is is feeling insecure about. Provide reassurance to himself. Right? It's not the wife's responsibility. That's what I mean about all unhealthy people grow up to do this. First of all, they don't recognize that the responsibility belongs to them and them only. Secondly, even if they do recognize that the responsibility belongs to them and that they need to parent themselves, they do it the wrong way. They do it the same unhealthy way, the only unhealthy way they know, which is from the example that they were given growing up. Think about an unhealthy how unhealthy parents have unhealthy expectations um, either to a negative degree or to an excessive degree so they're either permissive overly permissive which is just as emotionally damaging or don't have enough expectations Uh, or so (laughs) what did I just do I just reiterated the same point so let me say it again they're either too permissive, in other words, you, you don't need to have any expectations for yourself. Everything's fine. You just gotta accept and everybody's just gotta learn to live with how you are. And then of course the flip side of that would be uh, having too many expectations, uh, being too stringent, too strict, not forgiven enough, not compassionate enough. All right, so. If the parents, if you were raised like that with those sorts of parents, and then you go to parent yourself now as an adult, let's say that your parents were too stringent, too strict, did not allow enough for enough uh, imperfection, you know, the human condition, did not allow for enough of that, and then you go to parent yourself, what will you do? Where Where will your expectations be? They will be too stringent, too demanding, not compassionate enough. And on the other side of the coin, what if your parents were too permissive? 
let you run around the neighborhood, get in all kinds of trouble. They never cared. They never, they never, uh, they weren't invested in your life. Did not care. Were not involved. Were not interested. Allowed for everything. You were allowed to do everything. There were no rules. And now, when you go to parent yourself now as an adult, and that was your example, your parenting example, what will happen when you now parent yourself? Same thing, right? It's the example you grew up with. That's your idea of what good parenting is. And so then you will be too permissive. You will not have enough uh, expectations, enough reasonable expectations for yourself. So then what is the answer? When a therapist tells you, you just got to, you know what, Bob or Sally, what you're lacking is self-parenting. You just need to start self-parenting yourself. Is that the answer? Well, it does have something to do with it, but like many things in the professional community, they take you halfway, don't they? They say, get in the car, and then they take you halfway, and they kick you out halfway. <laughs> get out. Here's where, you're, here's where I'm letting you out. They don't take you the whole way. So really, what is the answer? The answer is that there has to be more involved than just parenting oneself if you grew up in an unhealthy family. You can't just parent yourself. That's not the answer. Because the way you will parent yourself is in the same unhealthy ways that you were parented when you were a child. And that's that has caused all of your problems until now. So now you're just going to perpetuate the same problems? What is more involved what is it that is more involved than just taking responsibility for parenting younger versions of ourselves? Number 1, we first have to understand the healthy way to go about it. But what's even more important than understanding the healthy ways to go about it? In other words, what is more important than knowing do this, do this, and do this, and don't do that other thing? What's more important than that? What's more important is understanding the principles and laws for why this and this and this is healthy and that thing is not healthy. See? That is more important. The underlying laws and principles for why. You see, if you can clearly see and understand the principles that guide any approach to any given thing, then you don't have to be given a superficial list of things to do. You'll begin to understand for yourself the right approach because you'll understand the healthy principles and and laws um, determining such an approach or guiding such an approach. So that brings us to some announcements. First of all, happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Secondly, thelastsymptom.com is my website full of free and paid resources. I'd uh, love for you to take uh, advantage of both. Of course, the paid resources are what finance the free resources. They're also what allow me to continue doing this, uh, continue doing this show continue doing other things that I do. We have an online community. It's on the Locals platform. That's spelled L-O-C-A-L-S. Boy, things have really been growing around the holidays and 
we've gotten a lot of new members and a lot of new faces and we're if we're not over a thousand members by now it would surprise me but but we're right up there around there so join us you can do that by opening your browser on your phone or on your computer going to the last symptom dot locals l-o-c-a-l-s dot com another way you can join is by downloading the locals.com app from the app store and then just searching for the last symptom by brian barnett that's me brian barnett so that's who you look for and then finally over at thelastsymptom.com my website there is a two-week intensive course pre-recorded so you'll see me on video presenting a a well-developed course for anybody interested in genuine insights about emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder ah caught me in a sneezing fit uh so yeah thelastsymptom.com that two-week intensive program uh you know it works with your schedule whatever your schedule might be um the course is designed for anybody who is interested in authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder narcissistic personality disorder uh, any kind of uh, uh, psychopath psychopathic emotional disorders if you're interested in authentic and permanent recovery from those things then you'll want to join uh, uh, you'll want to run over to the last consider enrolling in that course so uh, it's interesting right the way we started off today's show what would you think the point of all that would be the point would be that it doesn't work to superficially just go through steps and uh, the last symptom fundamentals course which is that two-week intensive course is not designed for you to just go through steps rather the purpose of the course is to allow you to gain insights that allow you to get down to the root causes of the things you're dealing with and to eliminate those unhealthy causes from the roots it's it's me teaching you how to fish rather than me just giving you a fish it's a uh, it's a profound education on the laws and principles that govern emotional health and also a deep dive a deep a very profound look into the unhealthy uh, principles and laws and thinking that guide emotional disorder want to help you escape it permanently and authentically over the summer i had been printing off and holding on to a whole bunch of articles that I've been wanting to share with you so just different things um, and I hold on to them for a long time and they build up and I'm always looking for the right time to share certain things with you and so I figured that in this episode it would be a good time you remember back over the summer we talked about this girl named Gabby and I can't remember what the boy's name was Uh, they were living the van life and posting all their travels and stuff on Instagram and she went missing and there was this big mystery about it, who done it and you know his 
Brian. Brian was the guy's name. How could I forget that? The Brian, uh, I can't remember what his last name is. But named Brian and Gabby. And uh, it turned out that uh, that he had killed her. And a bit, just a big old mystery. It was like the, the big mystery of the summer. It was the thing everybody was talking about, about uh, before the, the uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Brian Lundry, I think the name was. Anywho, I reckon many of you know what I'm talking about. Well, I followed that pretty closely, and I even did a show about it. Used them as a perfect example of how a fake love, this fake imitation, superficial love that is so prevalent in today's world. And so I followed the the whole case with a lot of interest and uh, when his body was found out in that marsh or that uh, swamp in Florida they found a backpack of his belongings and that's how they confirmed it was him and uh, they, they published the news organizations published a letter an admission letter and a suicide letter that he had left in, in his backpack so anyway all the news organizations Not all of them. I had to search for it actually a little bit, but they they printed off had this letter. I thought I'd le- read the letter to you as a follow up to that episode. I can't remember what it was. It was season four something about artificial love or whatever. Uh, and I won't read the whole letter. It's a long letter for you. Those of you watching the video here on YouTube, uh, you can see it's, it fills a page. He addresses the letter to Gabby, which is interesting. Because she's dead by this point. And he's uh, making an admission to people who will find this letter. But he doesn't address them. He addresses Gabby. I wish I was right at your side. I wish I could be talking to you right now. I'd be going through every memory we've made. Getting even more excited for the future. I can't live without you. Isn't that a romantic sentiment I can't live without you no it's not romantic sentiment it's an unhealthy sentiment people uh, you know relationships are wonderful they really are I mean I think about my relationship with my daughter I think about my relationship with some of my really close friends and um, they are important but uh, life is more than just any single relationship except for the one you have with God which would be the exception he says I've lost every day we could have spent together every holiday I'll never get to play with unintelligible again never go hiking with TJ I loved you more than anything I can't bear to look at our photos to recall great times because it is why I cannot go on. When I close my eyes, I will think of laying on the roof of the van, falling asleep to the side of a meteor shower at the Crystal Geyser. I will always love you. If you were reading Gab's journal, looking at the photos from our life together, flipping through old cards, 
You wouldn't want to live a day without her, knowing that every day you'll wake up without her. You wouldn't want to wake up. I'm sorry to everyone this will affect. Gabby was the love of my life, but I know adored by many. I'm so very sorry to her family because I love them. I'd consider her younger siblings my best friends. I am sorry to my family. This is a shock to them as well as a terrible grief. So you're probably wondering, you probably want me to just get to the part where what, what happened happened. Here we go. This occurred as an unexpected tragedy. Rushing back to our car, trying to cross the streams of Spread Creek before it got too dark to see, too cold. I hear a splash and a scream. I could barely see. I couldn't find her for a moment, shouted her name. I found her breathing, heavily gasping my name. She was freezing cold. We had just come from the blazing hot national parks in Utah. The temperature had dropped to freezing and she was soaking wet. I carried her as far as I could, down the stream toward the car, stumbling, exhausted in shock, when my knees buckled, and I knew I couldn't safely carry her. I started a fire and spooned her as close to the heat. She was so thin, had already been freezing too long. I couldn't at the time realize that I should have started a fire first, but I wanted her out of the cold back to the car. From where I started the fire, I had no idea how far the car might be, only knew it was across the creek. When I pulled Gabby out of the water, she couldn't tell me what hurt. She had a small bump on her forehead that eventually got larger. Her feet hurt, her wrist hurt, but she was freezing, shaking violently while carrying... shaking violently. While carrying her, she continually made sounds of pain. Laying next to her, she said little lapsing between violent ch shakes, gasping in pain, begging for an end to her pain. That doesn't sound very <clears throat> believable to me. She fell in the creek, bumped her head, she's cold and now she wants to die? Is that what he's saying? that now she's begging for an end to her to being a little cold and having a bump on her head she would fall asleep and I would shake her awake fearing she shouldn't close her eyes if she had a concussion she would wake in pain start the whole painful cycle again while furious that I was the one waking her she wouldn't let me try to cross the creek thought like me that this fire would go out in her sleep and she'd freeze. I don't know the extent of Gabby's injuries, only that she was in extreme pain. I ended her life. I thought it was merciful, that it is what she wanted, but I see now all the mistakes I made. Oh, <laughs> you think? <laughs> uh, I panicked. I was in shock, but from the moment I decided took away her pain I knew I couldn't go on without her he never says how he took away her pain but it, none of this makes sense to me
none of it makes sense to me. It, it sounds like storytelling. Uh, this is a story he come up with. And I mean, it's a giant leap from the story he's telling to, well, it makes sense to put somebody out of their misery then. Huge gulf between those two things. I don't see how you close that gulf based on her falling into a creek, bumping her head, or having a sprained ankle, or being cold, and stuff like that. Her getting angry at him waking her up. He's afraid she's going to freeze to death in her sleep. But bashing her over the head with a rock or choking her to death or something like that seems like a better thing to do. Uh, no. No, I don't, I don't buy any of this. So he ends this. This is where they found him. He says, I have killed myself by this crick. This was in Florida. In the hopes that animals may tear me apart. That it may make some of her family happy. <laughs> so that's the letter. Um, I don't know if I saved this somewhere or not. If I did, I'll post it to uh, our the last symptom online community over there on locals and we'll get some dialogue going about it see what everybody thinks uh, I just want to share it with you I, if you want a companion episode to this letter I just read um, in fact let me look that up do I have any I can't look it up right now but um, listen to the episode where I highlighted their story back over the summer it was season 4 episode something and it was uh, it was all about love, fake love, artificial love, that sort of thing. How about the conversations we've had in the past about how people are just people? So everybody said, oh, no, no, not this person. This person's a doctor. This person is not a person. This person is a doctor. Or, uh, no, no, that's... This is not a conclusion that people reached. This is a conclusion that scientists reached. They're not people. They are, but they're scientists first, and then they're people. And we've had that conversation many times, haven't we? That, that the most important thing always is that they are people. Always. Oh, no, no, but this, this guy is the president of this, this huge country, huge important country, huge... This is a really important person. He's a president. No, he's a person, and then he's a president. In all cases, even when you're evaluating the things I say and the things I do and, um, you know, everything that I, all the work that I do with Last Symptom, the first and most important qualifier there is that I am a person. And then I'm Brian Barnett, Last Symptom guy. Uh, your doctor... It's wonderful that he, that he knows so much about the human body and stuff like that. But first and foremost, he's a, he's a person. How about your, uh, your, your favorite therapist that you've ever met in your entire life? Trust every single thing comes out of her mouth. Well, okay, she's, she's a person first. That's the most important thing. And we've had this discussion many times, and it's, it's an unpopular conversation to have because you know what happens when you when you say you know what a, a scientist is a person first and foremost 
Well, then you get people who say, oh, see there, science denier. Science denier. Only an utter fool would not understand <clears throat> that science is not just something that exists and that we get to study and understand without it being filtered through people. I got a, into a conversation on Twitter the other day with a scientist. We ended up having a real nice conversation, by the way. Started off a little tense, but it, it ended up good. Ended up to, to be a good conversation. He said, uh, you are suggesting that I allow emotion to affect my studies. And I said, er, wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your studies are being influenced by your emotions. But I said, I know for an absolute fact without any question whatsoever that the interpretation of the results of your studies are being filtered through emotion. They absolutely are. So my whole conversation with, with him was, why can you have a thousand scientists and half of them think one thing and half of them think another? And they're all looking at the exact same study. Why is that? And why is it that scientists are never 100% in agreement? Are they less science? I mean, are they less scientists than you are because they disagree with you? So then what explains it? What explains it is that first and foremost, everybody doing these studies, everybody re, uh, interpreting the results of these studies are people. And they have their own biases, their own preferences, their own ways of thinking, their own expectations, and on and on and on. Anyway, I'm getting off on a big tangent there, but this article is called Ohio Supreme Court Suspends Democrat Judge Over Unprecedented Behavior. Unprecedented is in quotes. So a lot of people like to think, well, a judge, you know, once you get to be a judge, you're infallible. What's the most important part? person then judge what if you get to be, yeah but wait a second what if you get to be a supreme court justice you're the most you're the highest judge in the land right that so that must matter the most right nope what matters the most is person <laughs> they're a person and they're also a supreme court judge so anyway this article says the ohio supreme court has indefinitely suspended a local judge citing unprecedented misconduct that includes falsifying court documents, issuing illegitimate arrest warrants, donning inappropriate attire in court. Cleveland Municipal Court Judge Pinky Carr was... <laughs> what a name, huh? Judge Pinky Carr was found to exhibit such misconduct that comprise more than 100 incidents over a period of about two years. You thought I was going to say over a period of like 50 years, didn't you? Nope, two years, 100 incidents. The misconduct encompassed repeated acts of dishonesty, the blatant and systemic disregard of due process, the law, court orders, and local rules. 
the disrespectful treatment of court staff and litigants, the abuse of capious warrants and the court's contempt power, stated the court's per curiam opinion. That misconduct warrants an indefinite suspension from the practice of law. Justices, uh, just, 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 justices agreed with the court's three-panel Board of Professional Conduct's assessment that Carr ruled her courtroom in a reckless and cavalier manner, unrestrained by the law or the court's rules, without any measure of probity. Probity. <laughs> I am not a... I was never a legal interpreter. Without any measure of probity or even common courtesy, and that she conducted business in a manner befitting a game show host rather than a judge of the Cleveland M M Municipal Court. Carr was found to have ignored an administrative order by the presiding judge of the Cleveland M Municipal Court to postpone hearings around March and April 2020 amid the COVID-19 pandemic. In addition to not rescheduling hearings, she was determined to have issued arrest warrants for at least 20 non-jail defendants who did not appear in court. Furthermore, she waived fines and court costs for people who were brave enough, quote-unquote, to appear in court in this period. Carr also lied to local news media and to her presiding judge that she did not issue arrest warrants. The former judge agreed to some 583 statements of fact and misconduct related to her ethics violations, including acknowledging that she often held hearings without a prosecutor present to avoid complying with procedural safeguards in state law, which include requiring a judge to inform the accused of the nature of the charge, the identity of the complainant, the right to counsel, and the effect of various pleas. Carr acknowledged that she falsified court journal entries to conceal her actions, which included unilaterally entering no contest pleas and then finding defendants not guilty of their charged offenses or arbitrarily waiving fines and costs for defendants whom she had found guilty but without looking into their ability to pay the fines. In at least 24 of 34 cases, Carr's journal entries falsely said she had looked into defendants' ability to pay and determined they couldn't pay. Instead, most of the time, Carr had frequently waived fines and costs based on the defendant's birth date. It's interesting stuff, ain't it? According to the court's opinion, Carr put at least five people in jail after she used warrants and incarceration to force people to pay fines and costs by tying their bond to the amount of the fine and costs. She acknowledged that this essentially created a modern-day debtor's prison. The court opinion determined that Carr abused her power and held a person in contempt which resulted in the person serving 15 days in jail. It also noted that Carr violated rules governing the appropriate dress, order, and decorum for courtroom, noting that her bench was littered with dolls, cups, novelty items, and junk, and that Carr presided over her courtroom wearing tank tops, t-shirts, some with images or slogans, spandex shorts, and sneakers. We call those tennis shoes where I'm from, not sneakers. 
Hmm, lots of stuff in there. What did Carr, what, this uh, disgraced judge, what do you think she used as her excuse for all this stuff? You got it. Mental health disorders. Boy, that's a nice thing to fall back on, ain't it? Uh, and we're not even, she wasn't crazy, right? She wasn't saying, uh, I lost my mind. I, w I went, uh, literally, I went insane. My brain wasn't functioning. I was, I thought I was Abraham Lincoln. She's not saying that. So what she's, what is she really talking about? She's talking about emotional health issues. So she's saying like she has narcissism or borderline personality disorder or something like that. And that's, that's why all this is, she should be let off the hook. I did that too, by the way. Marriage, life falling apart, marriage falling apart. That was my argument. But listen, I'm dealing with mental health issues. Dealing with these mental health disorders. I can't, I don't have any control over this stuff. I shouldn't be held responsible for the things I do. Back to that teeter-totter, right? What's the what's that an example of? It's an example of teeter-totter being tilted too far in the direction of permissiveness. Uh, yes, it's true. I did a lot of things that I wouldn't have otherwise done. It's still not an excuse for the things I did. My responsibility for doing better did not disappear because I was dealing with some things that I had yet to identify. Well, i tell you what, if you were on the right side of her, I bet she'd be a very fun judge. Not, not too much, though, if you're on the wrong side of her, right? Let's see here. Jennifer Lopez, Ben Affleck, obtained wedding license in Nevada. So they go to Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, run off and got married in Vegas. What do you think? Is that romantic? When you hear those stories in People Magazine and stuff like that about Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, do you think that that encompasses just perfectly a good romance story? Let's see, when was this? This is a July 17th of last year. So, like I told you, I do, I print these things off and I hang on to them for a long time. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck were wed Saturday in a late night Las Vegas drive through chapel. Can you believe that? Can, can you imagine being worth millions of dollars, fame swirling all around you, and, <laughs> and you going and getting married in Vegas? Well, okay. Here's the quote that Jennifer... I hate, by the way, I have to make an, uh, I have to be upfront about the fact that I hate Jennifer Lopez. I can't stand her. I shouldn't say I hate her. I, I, I don't hate her. Uh, she's just not somebody that I care much for. <laughs> I bet if I met her one-on-one, -on -one, I'd be like, wow, you know, that Jennifer Lopez, real, real nice girl. Um, I'll tell you when I started really disliking her. Years ago, 
like right around 2020, year 2020, she was dating P. Diddy or Puff Daddy or whatever his name is now. And he got caught in a club with a gun. And she was dating him. And I knew what she was doing. She was climbing the ladder. So I knew that she was only with him for that reason. She just using him for her own career. And because that she was with him when this this kershuffle ker, ker, ker or kerfuffle went down in the club, um, he got arrested and she was at risk of getting arrested. She threw him under the bus like that. Like that. And I saw a recording of her crying, oh, but my career, my career, it was all his fault. He did it. It was I had nothing to do with it. And when she did that, all respect I had for her just went right out the window. Like I, I said, this this gold digging snake, all she cares about is herself. No loyalty whatsoever. Just using this guy because of his fame. He was a lot more famous than she was at the time. And uh, I've just never looked at her the same since. I just look at her as like this dirty whore that's the way I look at her a dirty whore just out to to use people to get what she, you know to to climb her way up on their backs and you know of course P. Diddy or Puff Daddy or I, Sean Combs right Sean is that what his name is Sean Combs anyway you know Yes, he's a grown man. He's he can do what he wants to do, and he should be smarter than than that. But uh, so yeah, I don't think much of his intelligence either to to be used like to allow himself to be used like that. But I just think of her as just some dirty, no good whore, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe you guys need to set me straight so why don't you join our group over there on the last symptom dot locals dot com you let me know if I have the wrong opinion about this Jennifer Lopez chick she says love is beautiful love is kind and it turns out love is patient 20 years patient wrote Lopez in a in a message signed Jennifer Lynn Affleck they flew to Vegas got married now they're going to live happily ever after aren't they because this is true love based on healthy laws and principles, right? Their marriage is based on true, healthy laws and principles. You think so? Well, time will tell. And uh, when after the divorce, I'll do another show. How about that? But uh, it seems more likely to me that these are folks who have not figured out yet that it's not there's no such thing as healthy or unhealthy relationships. There's only such thing as healthy or unhealthy people, right? So, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for this week. Um, one last announcement. The Last Symptom Podcast is not going to be a weekly thing anymore. But don't un- unsubscribe. It's going to now be every other week. So it's still going to be a regularly uh, published show. It's just not going to be every single week. It will be every other week. All right. I think that that is a more reasonable approach to things given where we're at in the evolution of the last symptom. 
the number of episodes we have in the bank that many newcomers will need to be able to catch up to and the fact that we're now doing live streams every Monday on our Last Symptom online community. So if you're a part of our online community, you can benefit from the live streams that I do every Monday. And it's really nice because it's live, I'm on camera, you're not on camera, just me, but you can interact with me in the chat. You can say, hey, Barnett, I wanna talk about this, or hey, Barnett, you were totally wrong about Jennifer Lopez. She is a wonderful woman, and I'll tell you why. And you're all and you're totally wrong about their upcoming divorce. I'll tell you why. So, uh, you know, if you you you're really missing out if you're not a part of our online community there. So join us there on thelastsymptom.locals.com or by downloading the locals.com app from the App Store and searching for The Last Symptom. My Brian Barnett would love to have you over there. Folks, Happy Thursday. Happy upcoming Friday when you're probably listening to this. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Please be compassionate, patient, kind with yourselves. Unless your tendency is to be way too permissive with yourself. In that case, if you're already being way too permissive with yourself, be less permissive with yourself. Hold yourself to higher expectations. Have a a goal in mind. Figure out how you can make the reality of the accomplishment of that goal a re, a, you know more realistic in your brain. How can you how can you make it so real that you can see it? You can almost reach out and touch it. We'll help you get there. Take care. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.